Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to the Randomly Generated History Club, where three non-historians pick a year at random and try to learn things about it. I'm Will and I'm here with my two friends, Anna and Ant. Yes. Hello. <laughs> yes, Are you hello. here? <laughs> From those two normal people. This year, this week, we are talking about the year 937 as chosen for us by our distinguished board member, Patrick. Mm. And I'd like mm. each of us to give our three word preview, please, of what we're discussing today. Anna. Wifing and welfing. <laughs> Sorry, wifing was it? Wifing and welfing. Welfing. Is that, is, is, can you? Can you? Is, is wife a verb? Yeah. Is wealth a word? <laughs> no. No comment. <laughs> Mine is bring back monarchy. Okay, that's a little more straightforward. Bring back monarchy. Yes. Okay, and you'll see. It's all. It's all. It's all here. Where did it go? And mine is. For England, Ethelston. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God! I wish you guys could see him. He's he's sitting up so straight, and he's just beaming with pride. <laughs> I was going to say something very inappropriate, but I'm I'm not going to say that thing. Okay. But I'm thinking it real hard. <laughs> <sighs> Onwards. This week, I'm going to talk about the Battle of Brunanburh. And thanks to our esteemed board member, Patrick, for suggesting this one. It is some absolute classic English battling. <laughs> <laughs> so, Thank you to Patrick and apologies to everyone else. Yep. <laughs> no apology from me. So the Battle of Brannenburg was fought in 937 between Ethelston, who was king of England, who for the avoidance of any doubt was the good guy. <laughs> And on the other side was an alliance between Olaf Guthrifsson. <laughs> yeah, the Norwegian, right? King of Dublin. Oh, never mind. Oh, oh right, because the Vikings yes. were in Ireland. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 We covered this previously, yeah. And oh, Constantine God, we've, we've II, oh. King of Scotland. Ooh, Constantine. Oh, Constantine. Uh-huh. And Owen, King of Strathclyde. Oh. And the battle is significant because it got has well it has quite a claim really to be seen as the origin of English nationalism, which as we all know has been a force for purity, <laughs> honour, oh, and enlightened good in the world ever since. And Tesco three for two meal deals. Yeah, I'm assuming they all had like it's all part of it. They all had three lines on their shirt blaring in the background. 
<laughs> why, why not be proud of a bargain? <laughs> We're a capitalist society. You should be proud of that. Okay. So Ethelstan's victory ended up preserving the unity of England. And um, we'll come to that in a moment. So the background here is that the good guy, King Ethelstan, had defeated the Vikings in York in 927, 10 years before. And following that, King Constantine of Scotland and the other neighbouring kings had, had had to accept that Ethelstan's overlordship of that whole area. Uh, and they had to then put up with him t- asserting his control of that area. Mm. And there was a beautiful period of British peace until 934. And then <laughs> Ethelstan got a little bored and, as is only natural, he invaded Scotland. <laughs> and <laughs> We've all been there. <laughs> that happens. And that caused some problems because it became apparent to his adversaries that they then really did need to back to gang together and form an alliance to uh. defeat him. So that's what they did. And the leader of the alliance was a baddie called <laughs> Olaf Guthrithson, the king of Dublin, as we've discussed. And this is really the start of what we all know then continued throughout history, mm. uh, which is... People ganging up on England. <laughs> yeah, effectively, yeah. So the Irish, especially, attacking the English, <laughs> oh, God. Who, who were just minding their own business, being English in England. Wow. Oh, <laughs> and, oh, boy. Wow. And Guthrie was joined by Constantine II and Owen, as we've said, of Strathclyde. And these guys had all been enemies separately, but then they agreed to put those differences aside mm-hmm. to try and deal with Ethelstan. And so in August of 937, Olaf sailed from Dublin with his army to join forces with the others. And so that leads, if you, the, the dates, we know the date was August 9, 937 when he left Dublin. So people were, are working kind of from that to say that the battle then probably took place in about October. Um, but for such a co- consequential battle, there's like, there's hardly any sources. Huh. So the English at the time were, were far more fighty-fighty than righty-righty. <laughs> and, and so they, there's actually, there, there are a few plausible locations for the battle, but it probably took place in the modern uh, town of Brombra in with the Wirral near Liverpool. And we have some details from the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle. Okay, which, can I sorry, sorry. Yeah. What is a Wirral? <laughs> I still what don't know. is the, the Wirral? It's the little peninsula, right? That's kind right. of by oh, okay. Liverpool. Where Birkenhead is. Uh, uh, right that's not obvious. Like uh, uh, it is obvious if you've done your Sporkle Counties of England quiz <laughs> as many times as I have. Okay, so it's the just a place. Pen- the Wirral. The Wirral is a peninsula. So at the exactly. peninsula. Okay, good. Yeah, it's beautiful. Just funny English it's very, words it's, it's for things. Very beautiful. Okay. And is it a county? We know no, some details of the anglo from the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle, which was the most widely read blog and gossip column of the day. <laughs> and <laughs> we also know that Ethelstan's army travelled north to meet the invaders. And that, according to another source, uh, Guillaume des Anglais, they drew up in their positions and there waited for their fate together on that stark clear night under the stars in the deserted field. And the following day, the battle commenced and we think it lasted all day. This is mm. like, we have no yeah. details, basically. So, <laughs> Well, if you work backwards from the number of people, the number of the people that died and then work out how many deaths per second there were, yeah. it probably equates to an all day battle. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, was a, it was a whole thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and we know there were swords. We know there were horses. Actually, interestingly, swords don't really come up. So, um, <laughs> this so, is a big so boxing his, match. His from, just fist fight. His, from the poem in the Chronicle, uh, the, this is what was written. So we think the English clove the shield wall, hacked the war lime, and don't know what war lime is, and with hammers leavings, there lay many a soldier of the men of the north, shot over shield, taken by spears, likewise Scottish also, sated weary of war 
So we've got shields, wow. we've got hammers, we've got spears. But actually, no swords. No Wall swords. Okay. whatever that Wall is. Lime, yeah. Wall lime. <laughs> no idea. So Olaf then um, quite rightly uh, fled and sailed back to Dublin where he belonged. And <laughs> with the remnants of uh, his aggressor, aggressor army and Constantine similarly escaped to Scotland. And we don't know what happened to Owen, actually. But according to the poem, then... Uh, the Northmen, bloody survivors of darts, disgraced in spirit, departed on Dingsmere in nailed boats over deep water to seek out Dublin. Okay, I have several questions. No, nailed boats. <laughs> survivors of darts? <laughs> <laughs> so they went to Liverpool for the darts. Classic <laughs> yeah, outing. Classic outing. Lads Couldn't on get tour tickets from Dublin. to the Alley Pally, so <laughs> yeah, they went yeah. up to Liverpool. Yeah, so I, 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 think, I think that is what they're suggesting. Okay. And then and they departed on Dingsmere. <laughs> On Dingsmere. On Dingsmere. Uh-huh. Like rubber dinghy type thing. Or I, is it a place? I think it's a, I think it's a water. Okay. okay. Uh, so I think it's like a river. Oh, yeah. The Dingsmere water. <laughs> Just the Dingsmere water and the Wirral. Brilliant. Great, great words, England. <laughs> the- anyway, <laughs> Ethelston's victory was amazing and was total. And it certainly prevented the dissolution of this united proto-England. And But it didn't served to unite the whole of the island of Britain, mm. obviously, because the other kings had just gone back to where they were before in Scotland and Strathclyde. So that still needed to be done um, later on <laughs> in, in, in English history. It's on the, it's on the to-do list. It's also very much, very much firmly on the to-do list, where it remained for hundreds of years. But the important... Arguably still remains yeah, today. Still, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's not a done deal. Uh, but importantly, uh, the, the main thing is that those awful awful Irish oh my and God. Scottish bullies were beaten <laughs> and the poor English never really interacted with them again. As as <laughs> that was the last of it, yeah, for sure. <laughs> so there you have it. The battle... That's great. ...of... The battle of... Bur- burn- burning <laughs> the battle Bush. Of Br- Br- Brunenburg. Which may have taken place in the Wirral. Yeah. 9.37. Or in Dingsmere. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I today, um, talking about wifing and wealthing, I'm mostly in Burgundy, which Mm. at this point in history stretches from east central France, where it is currently. But this in this time, it went all the way down to the Mediterranean in what's now Provence and is right bordering uh, northwestern Italy. And from 879 to 933, it's split into upper and lower Burgundy, each with their own rulers. A man named Hugh of Arl. <laughs> <laughs> how do you? How, how do you, that was completely unnecessary. I have but no idea what also, too, just made. How do you spell Arl? <laughs> and his name is Hugh. To be to be clear, Hugh Hugh of this place. Yeah, <laughs> well. Good night, everybody. <laughs> Maybe Anne should go. Um, no, you quite clearly and obviously spell it A R L E S. Oh yeah, Arl. Exactly. Hugh rules Lower Burgundy. This is incredible. All right. I've just take I've just done a lap. All right. Hugh rules Lower Burgundy and a man named Rudolph II rules Upper. And Rudolph eventually unites <laughs> <laughs>
Oh, no. <laughs> it's just still there in my head. <clears throat> Rudolph eventually unites Upper and Lower and becomes the King of Burgundy. He's really leading the way. He's... <laughs> Yes, history suggests his, his nose was incredibly bright. <laughs> Blended in with the wine. When, when he dies in 937, his son Dasher takes over. <laughs> no, sorry, his son Conrad at the first takes over. And Conrad rules for 56 years. So there's this transition of power in 937. And there's, <clears throat> there's some intrigue there. There's infighting. Someone trades away the holy lance, the one that pierced Jesus. The actual <laughs> the holy actual lance. The actual one. I mean, obviously, massive Everything's got asterisk. a price, though, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, true. yeah, he trades it for a couple of provinces in um, eastern France. Worth it. Uh, totally. Great, great wine country. Um, it's just, you know, the most boring sort of bog standard history stuff, right? Holy lances. So I don't want to talk about that. I want to talk about the two men at the heart of the thing, Hugh and Rudolph, um, because they both are have interesting characters and so much of about them we've covered in other episodes. And so it's like, weirdly, I'm starting to see that history kind of all connects. Yeah. <laughs> and it's possible that I'm... In I've, this sort of linear formation yeah, year on year. Yeah. Like, learned something from this podcast. Ugh. And so it's, it's not great, but I'm going to talk about it anyway. So I'll start with Hugh. I'm not going to say where he's from again. Uh, he had been the ruler of Lower Burgundy, and he's a real wheeler dealer. He eventually becomes the king of Italy, and he's just he wants more territory, but he's constantly butting heads with Rudolph. They're fighting over the lands in Burgundy and beyond in this sort of well, border it region. The season, isn't it, when they butt heads, right? And they- <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, they, they're, they're antlers. Well, Hugh's got the big antlers. Rudolph's got the nose. So it's a, it's a whole thing. Um, one tactic that Hugh really likes to employ is a strategic marriage. Ooh. Uh, this is going to blow your mind. His first wife is named Willa. And she is the widow of Rudolph I, a.k.a. the mother of Rudolph II, the guy he's fighting. Yeah. So he becomes the stepfather of Rudolph II. Yes. Mm -hmm. That marriage ends. Presumably, he's not a very good stepfather. His his daughter by his second wife is named Alda, and Alda marries a guy called Alberic of Spoleto. Alberic is the son of Marosia. Do you remember her in the 916 episode? She and her mother, Theodora, were the Theophylacti, who were the mistresses and mothers of various Yeah, and they said said all these bad things about them, yeah. Exactly. So they were, they like controlled the papacy in the 10th century. So Hugh's daughter marries Marosia's son, Mm -hmm. and then Hugh marries Marosia. Oh, okay. Um, making him both the father-in-law and stepfather of Alberic. Alberic is not a fan of Hugh (laughs) (laughs) and actually stages a coup during Hugh and Morosia's wedding. Nice. (laughs) Which is a great time for cooing. No one is expecting it. If you do it right after single ladies, (laughs) it's it's great. (laughs) So Hugh manages to escape by sliding down a rope, which is awesome. But Marosia is captured and imprisoned for the rest of her life by her son. So that's that has dramatically us. different fates, all on yeah. account of not having two ropes. Yeah, exactly. You know? Oh, like what the what a horrible husband to not yeah. have an escape rope for your wife. Yeah, yeah, just, that's the second marriage. I think 
uh, no, sorry, that's the third marriage, which I think is uh, not a great one, considering that his wife is imprisoned. And for his fourth and final wife, Hugh goes back to his roots and marries a woman named Bertha, who was the widow of Rudolf II. Was that just her nickname because she had so many children? <laughs> no, no. Her, her, her name is Bertha of Swabia. Bertha of Swabia. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what Swabia is. Somewhere in Germany. So he marries Bertha, who is the widow of Rudolf II, a.k.a. the guy Hugh had been fighting with over Burgundy, a.k.a. his former stepson. Yeah. So he has now married this guy's mother and widow. <laughs> I'm not going to lie, Anna. This is extremely complex and I'm totally lost. I know. Just basically, <laughs> Hugh is marrying... He is. Anyone. Every, everyone and anyone. And all of them are s- sort of connected to this guy, Rudolph. So anyway, he, they get married in 937. To the surprise of no one, it is not a happy marriage. And it should go without saying, but Hugh had numerous mistresses and illegitimate children. And he and he's just using all these strategic marriages to try to like gain more territory. Which he doesn't, really, because Rudolph ends up winning. Anyway, that's Hugh, top-notch guy. The <laughs> other main character is this guy, Rudolph II, who was the one who had united Upper and Lower mm-hmm. Burgundy. And he's a member of the Elder House of Welf. Uh-huh. <laughs> and the House of Welf is, as we all know, a Frankish noble dynasty yep. of European rulers yep, that. that can possibly trace their history back to a man named Adeco, who was a confidant of Attila the Hun. Oh. <laughs> It's not clear why they're called Welf, but remember several episodes ago when Ant talked about the Gelfs and the Ghiblians? Yes. So setting aside the fact that they're not Ghiblians, the Gelfs are the Welfs. The Gelfs are the Welfs. The The Gelfs are the Welfs. (laughs) Is it like all Gelfs are Welfs or is it just some Gelfs are Welfs but all all Welfs are Gelfs? All Gelfs are Welfs, but not all Welfs are squares. Yeah. Okay, good. (laughs) Good, good, good. So the Welfs are really just stuck into the history of Europe. And in 1050, there's there's this elder branch and a younger branch. And in 1055, the last elder Welfian dies childless, leaves all his possessions to the younger house of wealth. And the younger house of wealth becomes an incredibly powerful dynasty that eventually contains several Holy Roman emperors, among other notables. And the younger house of wealth have the most incredible names and titles, which you know I love. So I wanted to share a few of my favorites. Chief, Eric, Chief Wealth. Eric the Winner. <laughs> nice Good. Henry the Middle <laughs> Frederick the Turbulent Welf the Fat No way Yes And then a, so direct. a series of Ottos Otto the Child, Otto the Mild Otto the Strict, Otto the Evil Sleepy Otto, the Otto w- Doc <laughs> Sleepy Otto Autobot <laughs> Otto the One-Eyed, Otto the Lame And the final thing to note about the younger house of Welf is that it goes all the way to Queen Victoria. Oh, uh, no way. Oh, wow. Is she a wealth? She's a wealth. I mean, like... widow e <laughs> Widow Empress likes fries. Uh, it goes all the way to Queen Victoria. So by extension, it goes all the way off to King Charles, the current king. But of course, their house name changes to Saxe-Coburg and Gotha, and then later Windsor. And it's all a bit muddled, muddled up, like it's not a perfect chain of succession by any means. Um, and the, co- the table was way too complicated for me to really make sense of. But in keeping with the high historical standards of the podcast, let's just say that King Charles III of 
Great Britain and Northern Ireland is 100% a direct descendant of a man named Welf the Fat. (laughs) (laughs) Just for a second, though, imagine you are a king somewhere in Germany. Yeah. You have thousands of people worshipping like God. You've brought in tax reforms. You've overseen warfare and pestilence and you've brought your people through this. And for decades, you've served your people very well and then your fucking court accountant or historian calls you wealth the fast <laughs> like and that's all you remembered for like, well maybe it was a uh, thing at the time you know like when people got gout it was they were kind of proud of it because it showed that okay, they were yeah, able yeah, to yeah. afford that much yeah, yeah, luxury yeah. like i guess being called wealth the fat was probably better <laughs> than like wealth the skinny wealth the wayfish that's your most positive attribute though as a king yeah yeah you would you would Prefer wealth, the fair-minded, or the the victorious in battle, or the (laughs) decapitator of Germans, or whatever. Um, Anyway, Hugh, Rudolph, two interesting guys, one wifed, one wealthed. And that's just a little, albeit confusing, soap opera taking place in the 10th century in Europe. That was delightful. That was great. (laughs) At some point when I was saying wealth so many times, I felt like I was in a fever dream, (laughs) and I couldn't really get out of it. Wealth. I'm also going to talk a little bit about monarchy, um, but I, I do want to talk about a birth. And I know that we kind of reserve births and deaths for like, you know, the kind of boring the tough years, years yeah. the tough years. Um, of, of which 937 obviously is not one. It is not one. There's loads of stuff happening. Um, and I know there's loads of fascinating stuff happening, but I, 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 I found this birth in particular is extremely interesting and, and fascinating. Um uh, not the not the birth thing. That's not fascinating. Um, the, uh-huh. You know the person. I, I mean, sorry. The, like birth is fascinating. Oh my god! Um, oh my god! Yeah, the miracle so, of life. I'm so nervous. <laughs> god, it's what is happening? Be, it's gonna, anyway, be, like, it's gonna anyway, be like somebody's dog. We're talking about Georgia. We're talking about the country of modern day Georgia. Okay. Ah. And the birth of a new prince and soon to be king, King Bagrat. Oh, nice. That's a great name. Otherwise known as Bagrat the Simple. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's way worse than Welf the Fat. He was the son of his father, obviously, who okay. was King Sumbat. So we got Sumbat and then Bagrat. And they were part of the Bagratoni dynasty. Wow. Yeah. Uh, which... I had some Bagratoni when I was in Rome the <laughs> yeah, other you day. Sorry, yeah. You put it with a little caramelized shallot. Oh, mm. wonderful. Uh, th- they were the rulers of an area of Tau in Georgia and the kingdom of Iberia, uh, which was mm. kind of goes back hundreds and hundreds of years we don't really know the full origin stories but maybe sometime established in the fifth century where they sort of fought arabs off the land hang on the kingdom of iberia like spain and portugal no tau and spe- specifically the bagrati dynasty sorry oh okay okay yeah, okay yeah, yeah. um and uh consolidated the kingdom and it was kind of this religious cornerstone of georgia you know and it was also had uh, it was on one branch of the silk road running through it so hence why there's a lot of money going through the area mm. but effectively this kind of quite old but unknowably old area of land that has sort of back and forth between rulers and then the bagratonis <laughs> came in um, i i tried to list myself as unknowably old on my tinder profile and it got rejected <laughs> <laughs> so the bagratonis are the bagratovians they've got very different permutations of of, of bagrat yeah um so we're going to go through a few of them um you know, they, they did claim descendancy from David of the Bible fame. So King okay. David, yeah. which I also claim. Uh-huh. Um, and it's said that maybe they came from Israel around the year 500 uh, AD-ish. Um, 
but you know, again, who who the hell knows? Um, the kingdom was split though at one stage between three sons. Um, so one was Bagrat the first. So uh, we're not talking about Bagrat the second. Who took Tau and the Anatolia, uh, and then and then the the two others. And there's lots of infighting and back and forth, and like who was taking supremacy. Um, uh, this did settle down into sort of sort of status quo. There's a lot of infighting. There's a lot of outfighting as well with Armenians and basically <laughs> <laughs> anyone around there to try, like as they try to sort of establish sort of sort of like the settled state. And in 958, Bagrat II took over from Sumbat and took on his titles and lands, except a really important one, which the Byzantine emperor gave to Sumbat as the Corapalates, which was a senior title um, for sort of rulers within the Byzantine Empire. The Cor of Pilates. Cor of Pilates, which is best at Pilates. Yeah. <laughs> it, 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 it means in charge of the palace in Latin, but it oh. just is a senior ruler title. But uh, Bagrat the Simple, the second one, didn't get that because he was too, I think, simple. Weak. And he was Weak not, core. The, 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 the favoured of these three sort of semi-kingdoms as well. Um, Sad. So he, Bagrat II was basically a bit part of the whole Georgian miasma and the political intrigue. Um, but there's a chap named David III of Tau who was the main string puller. And uh, about him and Bagrat were in cahoots. Um, they, they, you know, they sort of, Bagrat II had supported him and they, against those pesky Azerbaijanis as well. Um, those plucky upstarts got on the wrong side of the Byzantine Empire and they decided to put to right and they, they, they sorted them out. But then there was a bit of a plot where Bagrat II and David III thought, hey, maybe we could actually establish ourselves a bit more and more independent from the Byzantine emperor, um, which didn't really go down well. And they were defeated. And as such, they had to cede their terrain, or David III had to cede his terrain upon his death. So he said, I will not, my lands will not be inherited by my children. It will become fully properly in the fold of the Byzantine Empire. David III was a Georgian? He was a Georgian. He was one of the three one Georgian the three. kingdoms. Yes. And yeah, he yeah. and Bagrat were friends. Him and Bagrat were friends. Okay. Best of friends. And they were technically in the Byzantine Empire. Yes, technically part of the Byzantine Empire. Okay, all right. I'm, I'm with you. Okay, I'm there. Good. Um, so the Bagratoni dynasty lasted a really, really long time. Um, uh, after after this sort of incident here, Bagrat the Third took up the mantle of top Bagrat, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> America's next top Bagrat. Um, there was a bit of a fragmentation in the fifteenth century. Uh, no, the fifteenth century. Yeah, yeah, Jesus. Yeah. yeah. All right, we skipped lasts, ahead. It lasts a long time. So this I mean, dynasty to be goes fair, on and I on. I did on. skip to present day, yes. and, so. and until the early nineteenth century. When Russia annexed the three kingdoms, which mm. were uh, Car- Kartli, Kakheti, no. and Imreti. Oh, God. Which is possibly where the biscuits come from. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and in the Russian Empire, they were a prominent family of aristocrats. Aristocrats. <laughs> <laughs> I knew when I was writing this, I would get this wrong. Oh I knew God. I would say that wrong. You... Acri- aristocrats. What charismatic uh. aristocrats <laughs> those Russians are. So one of them was Bagrat a... is a good name for a cat. It is. <laughs> Bagrat the cat. Bagrat the cat. Um, so one of whom was a Russian general and a hero during the Patriotic War of 1812, who was Prince Pyotr Bagration. Bagration. Oh my God. Ba- ba- Bagration, I think. Uh, Try it a couple more times. Bag- Bagration, okay. I think. It's spelled B-A-G-R-A-T-I-O-N. Okay. Anyway, so... Oh, a bag ration, like an M-R-E. So their sort of status and power was, you know, still consolidated until the Red Army took over Tbilisi in 1921. Oh. And most of the Bagratoni family left Georgia and sort of fled because obviously they were, you know, they were the rich poshos that communism didn't really gel yeah. with that much. Mm-hmm. Um, but to this day, 
there is still descendants of the Bagratonis that are very powerful and influential. And there are people within Georgia that would like to establish a constitutional monarchy. So they want to bring back monarchy uh, into Georgia and head it up by the Bagratis. Ah. Um, Maybe the, they look at the success of the House of Wealth and yeah. see we can <laughs> exactly. have that as wealth. Uh, uh, and uh, the chief Bagrat at the moment um, is Prince David Bagratoni Macronelli. I'm assuming Macronelli is another... Is he Irish? Family. He's not. He's not. Macronelli. It's <laughs> Mac- M-U-K. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but there's other Bagratonis in the mix that come from one of these three other kingdoms that is, they, they, they descended on down. So there's a few people that could lay claim to the throne. Mm if they were to establish one. Um, Prince David is probably the front runner um, because uh, two of the Bagratoni clans have now since married um, and there is a new prince called Giorgio Bagratoni or Bagrishan. Um He's like eight, uh, but he's pen- potentially the... Ch- so right now? Right now. He's about eight, ten, something like that, you know, you know whatever. Like Right. He's a small Bagrat. Um, but he could, he could, he could, he's like chief candidate for a Georgian monarchy uh, to be the Which king. again is like not going to happen. Well, no, it could do because people want it. Okay. Some people want it. Not a lot of people. Some people. I want it. Team Bagrat. I'm on Team Bagrat. Um, the Bagratids are also they're just fascinating. Sorry, have we just plunged ourselves into the heart of a constitutional dispute in Georgia about <laughs> yeah. the future of monarchy? <laughs> and we're taking, to be fair, it we, was only a matter of we're time. Ta- we're taking sides as well. <laughs> yeah, I did oh, not see this coming. Sides. <laughs> but um, I'm all in. But it's just a mi- fascinating like microcosm of this one family that's still around and still like influential and yeah. somewhat have like political backing in, in interesting ways. I know nothing about Georgia, the country. Clearly. And, and 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 now I fear I might know less. <laughs> well said. I mean, there you that, go, the that, bag rats. That goes. That goes for all of us. <laughs> I, I, I'm not sure what's just happened, but I, <laughs> I'm going to go back and listen to how many different variations of the word bag rat he says. I promise I you, four. The, oh, the, oh, four, fourteen. There actually are. So this is actually written down. This bagratoni, bagratovo. Tavonian. Oh no, I don't want you, you to have to say Bagrat- them all again. Bagratites, I think, or Bagratis. Bagr- Bagratids. There's a bunch of different ways you can Bagr- sort of... stop. <laughs> well, thanks for joining us. That's everything you'd ever need to know about some guy named Bagrat <laughs> and also about the year 937. Yes, all that's left to do. Will, please boot up the random number generator and let us know what we're doing next. Absolutely. I am booting it up now and feeding it its bag rations. <laughs> <laughs> that's very good. And the next year is 1102. 1102. Nice. There's some bag rats in the mix. There is. There Probably some Welfs. Some Welfs still around. And I'm... who did you talk about? Oh, the Britons. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm not not going to do a crusade. <laughs> uh, and what are you covering for your topic? <laughs> yeah, good luck in your crusade this week. Oh, by the way, by the way Thea, thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's going to be great. It's been long in the planning. It yeah. really has. Yeah, it's going to be weird to record this without you, but we'll keep your memory. Who's alive. it against this time? The crusade. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, are you going classic? The forces of communism. <laughs> okay, okay, gotcha. Yeah, yeah. Well, good luck in like Venezuela. <laughs> Venezuela? No, not Venezuela. Who am I thinking of? I don't know. Cuba? Cuba, that's the one. 
Good luck in Cuba. Oh my God. We have to to stop. Patrick, look what you did to us. Thank you for your patronage. Goodbye. Where did Venezuela come from? Isn't Venezuela kind of... um, Yeah, yeah. Super, like, not communist. Well, yeah, they're like... Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.